Good evening, everybody. Our lesson tonight is titled, Making the Most of 2019. 2019, it's, it's amazing, actually. 2018, here we are at the last final days of it. And it's times like these that we like to look back at 2018. We like to see what we accomplished. You know, we feel really good about that. But tonight, we're not going to look back. We're going to look forward. In fact, I'd like to discuss three points that will help us focus on how we as Christians can make the most out of 2019. So, tonight, I'm going to give you three short points. And here they are, right off the bat. Number one, life is short. So make the most of it. Number two, since God's moves. Number three, do not just recognize God, but make him the center of your life. Those are the three points that we're going to be talking about tonight. But first, we're going to start out with a story. And it's about a couple of guys and Jim and Kevin. Jim and Kevin are lifelong friends because they share the same passions. They love God, they love their families, and they love baseball. Now this all began when they met on the t-ball field, okay? And as they grew up, they were on the same baseball travel teams, they played some high school baseball together, and their friendship stayed strong all through college, and even when they became married and had children of their own, baseball stayed a constant in their life. Now they, I'm sorry, but they ate, drank, and slept baseball. In fact, as they got older, they created one of those bucket lists. Fred, you know about those bucket lists? You cross them off. There are things that you want to do in your lifetime. You cross them off as you get older. Okay? Well, they, they had a whole list of them, but one of them that they had was to visit every Major League Baseball field in the United States. And happily, they were able to do that. They were able to cross all those off. But they wondered as they got older if heaven would be fun if there wasn't any baseball in it. And so they made a pact. They made a pact that whoever passed away first would try to get a message back to the other one and answer the all-important question, is there baseball in heaven? Well, the time went on, years passed, and eventually Jim passed away. And Kevin, he grieved. But then several weeks later, Kevin is awakened in the middle of the night by a familiar voice. Kevin. Kevin, I got good news and bad news. Jim, is that you? Wow, this is amazing. Well, what's the good news? There's baseball in heaven. And it's great baseball. The teams are great. The fields are immaculate. The competition is tough. And the games are exciting. Wow, we knew it. I told you, I told you, I know we knew it. What's the bad news? 
You're scheduled to pitch this coming Tuesday. <laughs> Which brings us to our first point. Life is short, so make the most of it. Now, you might think that a lesson on the brevity of life might be you know, a little depressing, but the reality is, is that one day we'll all pass away, and there's going to be a stone that will rest above our graves, and on that stone will be a few dates. One that marks when you came into this world, and a date that marks when you left it. But as you see, in between those dates will be a dash. And that dash, of course, resembles your life. That dash, or lifespan, however, is going to be a very short time frame in the scope of all things. Now, one of my goals this evening is to have you reflect on the shortness of your dash and for us all not to take it for granted. The Bible often compares our lives to a race because in a race, there's a definite beginning and a definite end. And that definite end awaits all of us. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now, when we are young, we all believe that we are invincible. Our lives coming to an end is the furthest thing from our minds. But as we grow a little older, those thoughts, they begin to creep up on us, right? And by middle age, well, we're well aware, well aware of our lifespan and most of us have encountered death in one shape or another. Now, eventually, if we're lucky, the days that we have left on this earth can be easily counted. And the Bible makes us well aware of this. James 4, 14 reads, Why, you do not, do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The Bible says our lives, and it's used words like dust, vapor, shadow. And here in James, a mist. Now Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16 reads, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, uses one of the two Greek words for time, and that word for time is very important because we don't have much of it. So what Paul is saying is don't use time like a fool because time is too precious to be used carelessly. And here's the thing about time. You can't make more of it. So you need to make the most of it. It's simply unwise to give major amounts of time to minor endeavors. But fools do this all the time. Now the word fool, it's all over the Bible. And as you see, we are born with a condition that's called congenital foolishness. Or we also know it as the sinful nature. 
But when you came to Christ, you received the spirit of wisdom. Christ is wisdom. And you don't have to live like fools anymore. Psalms 14.1 reads, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. Now, this verse is not talking about an atheist. An atheist is someone who does not believe in the existence of God. No, this verse is talking about the person that believes in God, but lives life as if God doesn't matter. He or she thinks and lives without ever factoring God into their equation. We read in Luke chapter 12, verses 13, 21, about the parable of the rich fool. And in that parable, there's a guy, he's, a, he's had a great year in business. Okay? And he tears down his barns and says, I'm going to build bigger barns, fill them up with so much stuff that I can live the rest of my years having one large party after another. And we know the story. That night, he dies. God says, you fool. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say that the businessman was unethical. He doesn't say that he was immoral. But this man lived his life like a functioning atheist because he never thought about God. So the scripture says, because your dash is so short, because time is so precious, because you now have the spirit of wisdom, don't spend it like a fool. 1 Peter 1.17 says, while you're still here on earth, you should live with respect for God. Now the verse says you should live your time with reverent fear. There's a story about a preacher. He told a whole, taught a whole series of lessons on the brevity of life. And after a few of the sermons, a man walks up to him after the service and says, you know, I come to church and I'm always tired. But your, sermons in the short, but your sermons on the shortness of life have inspired me, and I'm going to stop falling asleep in your sermons. Well, that's a start. Because while the fool doesn't consider God, the wise person is seeking the will of God all the time. Your life is on loan from God. So don't spend it Invest it. Because the one who gave you the loan, he wants a return. There's a book titled, Your Life on Loan. And it's by Eric Swanson. And the author writes that when he was a boy, it was still legal to burn trash. His dad had a business in which there was always, you know, a lot of those big cardboard boxes lying around. And he would take them into the backyard, and he'd put them in this big old barrel, and then he would burn them. Now today, if you burn your trash, you're going to get hit with a fire hose from the fire department, and then you're going to get hit with a fee. But back in his day, he would take those boxes outside, and he would, he would make them into houses. And then he would take them into the backyard, and then he would burn them when he was finished. So one day, he's on his porch, and he's taking this big old box and he's turning it into this house 
And this girl, little girl come from next door, her name's Susie, and she comes over and she says, what you doing? She says, I am making a house. Nice. And she goes back and she runs back to her house and she comes back with a big old bag of stuff and she's got scissors and crayons and paste and thread and needles and she starts to work it. And she makes these little bitty curtains and she puts them over the windows and then she paints the door and she paints the windows and then she makes, cuts out these other little pieces of paper and she makes you know, shingles and she puts them on the roof and it looks all nice and they play with it, yay, for about an hour or so. And then when they're done, Eric says, well, that was fun. And he takes it back in the backyard, throws it and burns it and up in the fire. And little Susie starts bawling her eyes out. And Eric Swanson writes in his book, perhaps she would not have invested so much time if she would have known that it was only going to burn. Jesus is offering a life that really matters and counts. You see, the gospel answers the question when you get up in the morning, do you have a reason to get out of bed? If you live 50 more years, do you have a purpose that will carry you the distance? Because you weren't just saved from something. You were saved for something. Time is a limited resource, so don't waste it making a big deal out of little deals. That brings us to point number two. We need to sense God's moves. The Bible says that God is putting people in certain places and at certain times so that they can fulfill God's will. Now, do we really believe this? Do we believe that that's happening today? Do you believe that we have been put in this place and at this exact point in time to make a difference and to help fulfill God's will? Ask yourself this. What did God do to get you to this exact position in life so that you are worshiping him here tonight? Have you ever put those pieces together and recognized God's moves to get you here. Do you believe that God spent the time bringing all those pieces together so that your life would align with what you could call a God encounter? What we need to understand is that God can work in the lives of more than one person at a time. I think we sometimes limit God based on our own humanity and our, our timeline. And brothers and sisters, God does not exist by any standards and limitations that we can understand. In fact, God is working in the lives of millions of people simultaneously right now at this exact moment so that we can all have the opportunity to know him better. God can use millions of people in different time frames and in different ways. He can remember the details of every conversation we have ever had 
every prayer we have ever made and has a knowing of every thought that is in our heart, every fear, and every step that we have ever taken both toward Him and away from Him. So don't put limits on what God can do based on your knowledge of God. And to better, to better illustrate this, I read a story of how God made moves to open the eyes of a young woman to her first God encounter. And it's a story of a young woman who was doing some missionary work in China. And, you know, they're over there and they're reading the Bible to those who can't read, and they're studying and with those who have never seen a Bible. And on the way home, after her mission work was over, she hops on one of those quick one-hour flights before she boards her main flight to get back to the States, and she sits down and she says a quick prayer, and she says, Lord, if you want me to witness or share my faith with someone on this flight, put them in the seat next to me. Sure enough, this young college student comes in and sits next to her, but immediately opens up a book and starts to read, so she gives her a little bit of space. Now, when the attendant comes by to give the snacks and the drinks, the student closes the book, and she, the woman says she recognized the cover because it had this tree on it, so she asked her, is that purpose-driven life? I know that book. Are you a Christian? And the flight attendant says, well, I'm a Christian. And the woman says, yeah, I'm a Christian. But the college student looked at him and said, I'm not a Christian. Well, here's the backstory for the college student. She had some friends in China that were Christians who spoke to her about Christ, but she had little interest. She's walking down the street one day, and a downpour out of nowhere comes, and then she gets soaked, and she has no umbrella, so she just darts into an open door, which just happens to be a Christian bookstore. The owner of the store offers her a towel, and while she's drying up, they spark up a conversation, and she says, you know, you really ought to read this book. You might like it. So she gave it to her for free. So she has this book now on the plane. She opens it up, and it's The Purpose Driven Life, and it's next to this woman, and she says, you know, the woman says, I've been a Christian for a long time, and if you have any questions about Jesus or the Bible, I'd love to talk to you. But the student didn't show any interest, and she just kind of turned away. But after a few minutes, she turned back. And she said, you know, I do have some questions. And she asked a couple of good questions, especially this one. She said, I'm a scientist. But I knew early in my studies that something Something was wrong because everyone kept telling me that there was no God. But there's just too much design in everything and in nature and creation for me to believe that. There must be a designer. But I figure he must be this great power and we're like a bunch of, you know, lab rats that is doing an experiment on because I can't imagine how the designer could care or even know about me. So the woman looks at the college student and says, you know, you have friends that have shared their faith with you and they love you. And you're walking down the street one day and it just happens to start raining when you don't have an umbrella. And you just happen to end up in a Christian bookstore. 
and you just happen to open that book up that you're recommended, and it's a cover that I would just happen to recognize. And because I just happened to pray to God that he would sit someone next to me that is searching, and you just happen to sit next to me. And she looked at her and she said, I think the designer is intentionally very interested in pursuing, pursuing you. Because he knows you and he cares about you. So her new young friend said as the plane landed, you know, you've given me a lot to think about. And then they parted ways. A God encounter. Now, we can look at this story in two ways. One, we can look at it from the perspective of the young woman who is not a Christian and how God placed all of those events in her life so that she could hear about God. Or we can look at it from the Christian perspective and how God gives us opportunities to reach out to others to make the most of our Christian calling. So, to wrap up point number two, I just want to leave you with one more thought. God moments are rarely scheduled. If I got that, we're not going to get an email or a text this week from heaven saying, hey, between 3 and 3.30 p.m. next week on a Thursday when the sun is shining bright, you are going to get an email from me. So be prepared, okay? We have to live every day alert. We have to be hospitable to interruptions at our own schedules. We have to be open to things you didn't plan and to surprises you weren't expecting. Because the Creator is moving their story into position to intersect your story so that you can share about his story. And he's doing this all the time. So instead of just dashing through life, learn to seize the moments that can be redeemed for the purposes of God and keep your eyes and ears open to God's moves. I'm going to be teaching a whole quarter on Wednesday nights starting in January on the book of Daniel. And while we tend to focus a lot of times on Daniel's story and on Daniel's life, another angle we can look at is from the point of one of the main characters in that book, and that's King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, even if King Nebuchadnezzar, if you know Daniel pretty well, even if he would have followed our first two points that we've discussed tonight, he never followed the final point for this evening, and that is, do not just recognize God, but make him the center of your life. Now, if you read the book of Daniel, God brought into existence everything possible to bring a God encounter to King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to give you a two-minute drill. I'm going to cover 100 years of history and four chapters of Daniel and five quick points in two minutes flat. Ready? Here we go. Point number one. This is going to help solidify our point. God put in place hundreds of years of prophecy to set up the timeline for King Nebuchadnezzar. Number two, and in just 
the right time, God handed Jerusalem over to the king out of the hands of God's own people. And King Nebuchadnezzar was there at just the right time to reap all of its benefits. Point number three. God gave dreams to the king so that he would enlist the men of Babylon and those men failed to interpret his dreams. Point number four. God brought into the encounter a young man named Daniel. And Daniel, through the help of God's divine nature, interpreted those dreams and brought King Nebuchadnezzar closer and closer to understanding the real God of heaven. Point number five. And for a brief moment, the king began to glimpse the true divine nature of what he ended up calling the most high God. But after everything he witnessed, he turns his back on God. He didn't make God the center of his life, and he pays the price. If you read in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, it reads, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what I decree for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Now, I know what you're saying. Hold it. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. You just plowed through all those points on Daniel and covered a ton of ground, and I have questions. Yeah? Well, come on Wednesday nights, and I'll give you the answers to all those questions and a lot, lot more. Okay? And there is. There's a lot more. Much, much more. So you see, just an encounter with God or even acknowledging God is not enough. We can't just go through life saying, yeah, I believe that there is a God and then not do anything about it. We have to put God in the center of our lives. How we live our lives, how we treat others. God has to be woven through the very fabric of our existence and our humanity. So much so that people recognize the difference between you and someone on the streets who has never taken the first step toward a life with Christ in their life. That's how we put God in the center of our life. So in closing tonight, let me ask you a question. Are you prepared for 2019? Now, I know that I personally have to do better. I had a busy 2018, maybe too busy. Distracted me from a lot of things that I should have done. More things I should have said, more people I should have talked to. So I kind of created this lesson for me tonight. Sorry about that. Hope you all enjoyed it. But it's true. We have to take the time. But by God's grace, if we're alive tomorrow and we get to experience the beginning of a new year on Tuesday, are you going to make the most of the life God has given you? 
Are you going to open your ears and eyes to the possibilities of not only encountering God, but helping others understand and see God's moves in their lives? Finally, will you just take a step back and say, yeah, God, that's great. I'm glad you're around. Or are you going to take action and put God in the center of your life? That's what we're talking about. That's what 2019 has to be. That's what this church needs. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what our friends and our family need. We need to recognize all these points. We need to do something about it. A quiet Christian is no queer Christian at all. What if Christ never said anything? What if he said, yeah, life is short. I'm just going to go over here and relax a little bit. Well, if he said, yeah, God, I hear you. Get back with you later. Busy. What if he didn't recognize the point that what he needed to do? Now, tonight... If any of these things have caused you to think, maybe we need to make some moves. You can come forward this evening and we can pray about those things. Or maybe if you're ready to put God in the center of your life, we can do that too by immersing you in baptism and bringing you into Christ's full benefit. If anything else we can do for you this evening, please come as we stand and sing.